folks, and welcome to This Is Who We Are. I'm Sean Watkins. This is my podcast and my new album, all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. And that's the main point. Each guest is either loosely or sometimes directly related to the song in one way or another. The goal is just to use this album as sort of a topical springboard for me and my guests. And from there, we can go anywhere. My guest on this episode is Dan Wilson. Um, it's hard to know where to start when talking about his credits. Uh, if you don't know him, you know his music, I guarantee it. Um, probably starting with the song Closing Time. I'm sure you've heard that one. Um, that's him. That was his band, Semisonic. They had a bunch of other hits. Uh, they stopped touring around 2001. Dan started a solo career and quickly became like the coolest guy to write with in town. <laughs> and by in town, I mean in the world. <laughs> Seriously. Um, here is just a smattering of people that he has written with and for. Um, Dixie Chicks, Taylor Swift, Pink, Spoon, Weezer, Brooke Frazier, Chris Stapleton, Dirk Bentley, Halsey, Jason Mraz, Josh Groban, John Legend, Leon Bridges, and Adele. By the way, interesting tidbit about his work with Adele. Um, the record that he co-wrote with her on, it was called 21, won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and he uh, got a producer credit on it because after they wrote that song, uh, they made a demo of it. He was playing piano, and she, of course, was singing, and that's what you hear when you hear that song on the radio. Um, I believe she recorded the song in a studio with a producer and... Um, they made it really big, like a power ballad. Um, but a year or so later, when she was finally putting together all the songs for what would be that record, Dan got a call from the record company asking if he still had the recording of the demo that he and Adele had recorded right after they wrote it, because uh, they just couldn't beat that. Anyway, that's one small example of, uh, of some of the stories that Dan could tell you. Um, it's incredible. But uh, we're not here to talk about Dan as much as I would love to. We're actually here to talk about Paul Simon. Um, the reason I've asked Dan to be on this episode is because recently uh, he and I went to see Paul Simon at the Hollywood Bowl. Dan had an extra ticket. And, uh, you know, how cool is it to get to go and see a songwriting hero with a songwriting hero? I, I just... It was, it was a lot of fun. He and I watched and just geeked out over Paul's lyrics, um, how great he still is, how crazy he still is after all these years. Um, anyway, uh, I, I thought it would be great to, to, get, uh, to get in the room with Dan and talk all things Paul Simon, and specifically the song Graceland, which I recorded on this new record of mine. Um, so yeah, before we get to my chat with Dan, uh, let's listen to that version. Here we go.
the Mississippi Delta Shining like a national guitar I am following the river Down the highway Through the cradle of the Civil War I'm going to Graceland, Graceland Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Poor boys and pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland My traveling companion is nine years old He is the child of my first marriage But I'm freezing to believe We both will be received in Graceland Comes back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own death As if I never noticed The way she brushed her hair On her forehead She says losing love Is like a window in your heart Everybody sees you're blown apart Everybody sees the wind blow I'm going to Graceland Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Poor boys and pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland My traveling companions are ghosts in empty sockets I'm looking at ghosts and empties But I have reason to believe we all will be received in Graceland human trampoline Sometimes when I'm falling, flying, tumbling in turmoil, I say, whoa so that's what she means She means we're bouncing in the Graceland Now I see you losing love is like a window in your heart Everybody sees your blown apart Everybody feels the wind blow Ooh, Graceland, Graceland Memphis, Tennessee, I'm going to Graceland For reasons I cannot explain There's some part of me that wants to see Graceland And I may be obliged to defend every love Every ending, or maybe there's no obligations now. Maybe I've a reason to believe we all will be received in Graceland. 
Graceland I'm going to Graceland Um, I, I, we're here with Dan Wilson, folks. This is um, this is kind of a little a soft in. We've been hanging out and but chatting. Now we're actually talking. Now we're now it's become okay, good. official. I can really speak my mind now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we're here at Dan Wilson's house. Thank you for doing this, Dan. Pleasure. Um, the song Graceland uh, is is just an incredible song. Yeah. Uh, you and I went last summer to see Paul. You invited me to see him at the Hollywood Bowl, and it was yeah. so fun. Yeah. Had you seen him um, much live before? Let me see. I I don't believe I don't believe I had. Yeah. I had never seen him live in, yeah. until that farewell I hadn't either. Tour. Yeah. Um it was so cool. One thing that really struck me about the whole night was how um how much how great of a balance between the old sort of nostalgic sounds and being really super new. Uh, not new, but just just doing new, trying new things. You yeah. know, he had the um, was it Y Music? I think that was out with him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they did, you know, toward the later part of the show, they did this really kind of pared down acoustic thing that was really kind of, you know, it was just beautifully weird and kind of avant garde. And yeah. and um, it's just so cool to see someone who has remained so. Um, on their creative edge, pretty much their whole, their whole career. And Graceland is like a great example of that. You know, I mean, I, I think when, when we saw the record, we, the album Graceland and the song, when we saw the Paul Simon concert, I was struck by a couple of things. One was how the Graceland, the kind of sonic theme of Graceland, it becomes apparent when you hear a retrospective of, of Paul Simon's that, that a lot of those sonic ideas of his, he had been doing for several years beforehand. You know, it wasn't like he just suddenly became the Graceland guy and right. then afterwards he wasn't that anymore. And then we also heard songs from Rhythm of the Saints and other records that were equally insanely great. They just, something about Graceland yeah. just struck a chord so amazingly. I know. It really, the reason I recorded this song was I was asked to host a um, Paul Simon tribute show mm-hmm. at the Skirball Center a couple summers ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, the idea was, um, I, I think I asked you, but you were out of town. Yeah, I was I, traveling. Um, the idea was that everyone, every guest would play three songs, um, Paul Simon's song, a song by an artist who had inspired, was known to have inspired Simon. Oh, or cool. Simon and Garfunkel, like, yeah. you know, like Leuven Brothers or Everly's or... Yeah. Um, or the moon clothes. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then a song of yours that was somehow inspired by or right. related to Paul Simon. Yeah, and it was really, really fun to do to do it. And um, and uh, you know, there's probably ten or eleven or twelve guests. And you know, whenever something like this happens, there's always kind of a, a mad rush to the the certain songs that everyone wants to do. <laughs> you know, um, but in this case, it wasn't. You know. It wasn't that that way because he has so many great songs from so many different different eras. I think maybe two people wanted to do "Sound of Silence" or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But other than that, it was pretty. You know, it was like here's a great song from a record he did in the late seventies. How about this one from an obscure record in the nineties? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and when I was listening through to things, um, I kind of sometimes I, 
I had maybe it's sort of like a um, artistically masochistic tendency, but the songs that that seem to be the least coverable, I, I just something in me just wants to do them, you know, or the ones that I shouldn't do them, you know, because Graceland is so iconic, and I've never really heard anyone cover it because it's just what do you do with it, you know? He's the way he presents it and the way that he phrases it is is perfect, and that's kind of only he can do that. His kind of casual humorous talk singing yeah you know yeah, yeah it's just yeah and it's i think it's one of those songs that just is uniquely connected to him and um and but there was something about it the feel that kind of um made sense with my where i come from musically um maybe it was just like the drum beat that's just kind of like a fast two beat thing you know yeah, yeah. like a train rhythm kind of yeah and um so that like sort of led into, yeah, it sort of led me into like a bluegrass rhythm that, <laughs> yeah. that I would, you know, kind of, that's right in my wheelhouse. Right. And then I just started messing around with the lyrics and singing it for fun. And I was like, man, I'm just going to do this, this song. It ended up being just a blast. It was really, really fun to do. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and led me into, um, uh, well, anyway, when it came time to make this last record, this record here that I'm presenting, um. I was looking for you know some uh, some other songs to supplement my my originals and um, and it, this came to my mind and I was like why not just try it so here we are I, I love it <laughs> Sean I, I I love I love it as a choice of a cover because it's just it's th- th- this it takes balls to cover this basically because <laughs> you, you you're not picking something and saying nobody's heard this we're gonna like bring this to life or you know you're it's like I should also say I, the reason I did it was because I was you know with the band Bee Eaters, which is this, this incredible band. You know I've talked about them on on probably all of these um, podcasts, but it's Hammer Dulcimer, Cello, and, and Fiddle, and oh, yeah. they are very very um, they they can do anything. But something about the way that they sound made me think that this was possible. Could, you know, like definitely could be a new vision. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have done this with like you know get a great rhythm section from, you know, in LA and go to a studio and record it. Interesting. But because this band, I think maybe we messed around with it and I was like, Oh, this definitely could, could work because of that instrumentation. Somehow yeah, yeah. it made sense. So all that to say, don't give me too much credit. I'm giving you all the credit. <laughs> I still think it's a gutsy choice. It's just such a, it's such a iconic song. It is such an interpretation. I loved playing it with you in the small room at Largo a couple yeah. of times. It's just, it's actually one of those songs where, um, I think great singles, sometimes uh sneak up on you arrangement wise like i have this theory about um sweet caroline the reason it's a great single is because literally there's never a moment without a singable thing happening right da 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 yep. so it's good. like one you know, after another one thing after another yep. after another after another it's vocal it's trumpet it's like the yeah. little Wurlitzer, you know melody at the beginning so many all these things are happening and Graceland, you kind of think of it as a cloud of sound, like a. But yeah. then when you listen to it, it's just one hooky melody after another. And yeah. when we covered it together in the small room, I found myself on the piano trying to play all those parts and realizing, yeah. no, I can't do every little, you know, <laughs> that's so, hook. That's really interesting because, yeah, there is that crafty, um, you know, Neil Diamond, Sweet Caroline thing where he 
carefully put together all these little sections that are just like gold nuggets, right? Right. You get the idea that he was like, this is cool, and this is cool, this is cool. Let's put them all together like a train set. You yeah, know? exactly. You One know? car after another. <laughs> um, or like he had like five songs and just took the coolest parts out of all those five songs and distilled it into one. That's a and, possibility. You know, I mean, I don't know how he wrote, but... Well, Maybe the verses just... of Graceland have that quality. What does the human trampoline have to do with my traveling companion? I know. Yeah, and the national right. guitar. I mean, it's, yeah. those are all such incredibly evocative uh, lyrical stretches of the song, but yeah. they... If but it feels like it, it feels like it came out of like a like Graceland as a song feels so expansive and open. You know, it feels like there was a like a big field that he filled up, mm. um, and and it, and those things ended up becoming hook after hook after hook. Yeah. Versus like here's an idea, I'm gonna shove it in. I'm gonna have this idea, Less plug like the and train plug and play kind yeah. of. You know. Yeah. Um, and which kind of brings up another thing that I was gonna talk about, which is the way that this song was sort of written in reverse. You know, mm-hmm. like people people use the term like. We'll say like, well, that song plays itself, or you know, that song was so easy, it just wrote mm-hmm. itself. But you know, the story of the song, when you hear Paul tell it, like it, the song kind of did write itself because he was recording all these songs in Africa and didn't have lyrics. And when they were recording this song, he just kept singing Graceland when he got to the chorus. You know, oh. he was just sort of. Do you know the story? No, I, feel I like don't. Please tell. So he just kept saying Graceland when they came to the chorus. Yeah. And he was he said he was kind of annoyed with himself, like, why am I saying this? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have anything to do with Africa or the rest of the record. Yeah. Yet he kept singing this sort of, uh, you know, a throwaway scratch uh, chorus word for Graceland. And then, um, then they, they did the whole record, and he said that he just couldn't think of anything better than gr- the chorus being Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee, I'm going to Graceland. And so he was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to go to Graceland. So then he drove, came back to America and drove from uh, Louisiana up to, I think, New Orleans, up to Graceland yeah. with uh, our pal uh, Harper, <laughs> who was right. nine years old. At the time. Traveling yeah. companion. Um, <gasps> Amazing. And, uh, and so basically the, the lyrics of the song are all him going up to Graceland because he thought of the scratch lyric for Graceland first, you know? From, so it's very much backwards. Wait, New Orleans to Tennessee to New York? Because is, is right, the last in New York City, the yeah. human trampoline girl in New York City? Yeah, I don't. I, I feel like that might be sort of just reflections on, you know, something else. He has a way like... Versus geographically like the, actually going there. The last verse of... Um, of Bridge Over Troubled Water is the Sail on Silver Girl. Mm-hmm. And it's just got nothing to do with yeah. anything else in the song, but it's so amazing. And so it's possible that that kind of surrealist collage is what's happening with the third verse. Yeah, I know. Grace yeah, Land. kind of like it almost would be a straight line, New Orleans. I know, that's to, what I'm thinking, though. It so- sounds like a travelogue. Yeah. A friend of mine emailed me Beautiful. like 10 years ago and said, Hey, Dan, I want to run this by you. I, I've been listening to Graceland a lot lately, and I've always loved that line, the Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. Yeah. And my friend Eric uh, in the email said, here's the crazy thing. I, I've always assumed that it was purely a metaphor 
that the Mississippi Delta was a guitar for the rest of America, or the 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 tributaries of the Delta were the strings of a giant guitar. Right. And Eric says, but I I just recently learned about a kind of guitar called a national guitar, <laughs> which sh- shines with a metallic surface. The only guitars that are made of metal. As though you're in. Eric said, as as though you're flying over the wet like in an yeah. airplane over the wet surface and the sun is reflecting on the wet surface yeah. of the of the mud and the, and the, and the river. Yeah. And I th- and I thought okay that's that's one of the reasons Paul Simon is so amazing because my friend could not know that there was such a thing as a, a national guitar, you know, yep. copyright or trademark. Mm-hmm. He just thought it was literally a gigantic metaphor about American life. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then when it's, he found out, his mind was completely blown. And I mean, in the same way that my mind is blown, because I'd never even thought of it being anything but a national guitar because I'm a guitar player. And yes, you know, like the right, first time you heard it, you were like, clearly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it totally works the other way. That's really great. A national. <laughs> Like I an know. American guitar. It's like our national guitar. That yeah. river is our national guitar. I just sort of yeah. love that. I wonder if Paul thought of that when he was writing it. I wouldn't be surprised. He's got such a... Uh, like, he's so elusive. Like, my like another thing, which I, I'm not going to delve into too much because it's just, it's just not my place, but one of the things that Elvis is famous slash infamous for doing is appropriating african-american music and right. bringing it to the broad american audience yes okay so when paul simon goes to africa and gets a bunch of african musicians to play the tracks and collaborate with him yeah. is he going to graceland so metaphorically great. speaking wow it's kind of crazy and yeah. i don't want to delve into it too much because it's not my place but i i think that's an interesting conscious possibly conscious self-awareness about yeah. what he's doing as a as a a white musician completely yeah it's like another uh, another shade of the same color of what elvis did yeah you know elvis probably did it sort of unintentionally he was just he was just inundated with that with passion and fans like he was freaking out about this music yeah when elvis was a kid like he was just a fan yeah that's really that's great see that's why I wanted you on this podcast, Dan. <laughs> gold nugget after gold nugget. My, there, I peaked. Um, I peaked early. <laughs> no, no, no. It's only the beginning. Um, I uh, I should look at my notes, but sometimes notes are are not as good as just, oh, trust your notes. It's just talking. Your, your, your past self um, has something to say. <laughs> um, I'm on. A, I almost want to get these lyrics up on my phone. If I yeah, may. pull them up. And then while I'm on my and phone, I, I'm just going to tweet a few times and do it. Go I, on Instagram. I can. And, um, I, I could. I have editing capability with this. Okay, with all this, yeah, we could. We can have just dead air time. We oh, well, <laughs> you know how people put restrictions on internet stuff I for do, kids. And then I ignore them. I, I have it on my phone. And I completely ignore it. <laughs> but I mean, like, what if you what if you put one on that's just uh, an only lyrics filter? You know, it's my like, my you can filter only would look be, up filter. <laughs> I, I would allow myself to uh, look at nerdy synth or guitar pedal demos on Instagram, but no, like no politics, no culture, yep. nothing else, yeah. just that. And I think I would actually be pretty safe. Yeah, from insanity. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that would be a really interesting uh, uh, kind of a social experiment. Ask people like, what if you, you know looking at yourself objectively if you could cut out you know everything but a few things to to look at online what would those be you know 
Um, the opposite of a mute function. Like I have yeah. mute on a few keywords, and you can guess what they are. I'm not going to say, but uh-huh. it's probably pretty obvious what first thing yeah. or second thing. Right. So I've muted several of those words from my from my phone, but actually I almost would prefer just literally only show me things that have this word in it, and it might be like... Solo. You, you want to solo something. Solo? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it would be instead of muting. I want to solo it on my phone. I'm going to solo up the words um, uh, oscillator. Uh-huh. Stomp box. Stomp box? Why stomp box? You know, or a pedal. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's all I need from the internet. An oscillator being like, like the main nerds. component of a synth. Of yeah, a synth. yeah. yeah. Just, that's all I need. Um, Sequencer. No, no, not even that. No, never mind. <laughs> Analog. That's it. You know what? I think we, yeah, the mute function should also have a solo function. I if we're totally going to mute someone or words, we should also be able to solo them. <laughs> it's like self-propaganda. <laughs> you know? If, oh. if we're going to live in a world which, which is all propaganda, then why not make our own, you know? Well, that's the, that's, that's the internet... Uh, what do they call it? The the echo chamber. That's the yeah. problem with the echo chamber. But if you can get really specific, I'm sure some people would just be like cats. Like yeah. they would just solo up the word cat and anything without yeah. the word cat in it, they would not see. Yeah. That would be a happy life for that person. I know. What if that's where we're headed? We just we we got to a point where it was just too much, and now it's just going to be people narrowing their view. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> well, we radically. do do that in a way. Yeah, but we we include way too much. You got to yeah. really narrow it. Yeah, we we narrow our view, um, like inadvertently. Like we don't think we're narrowing. Like we'll right. We think we're broadening our view by listening to or you know following a few people or watching a, you know one or two news networks. Um, but we're actually narrowing our view. My point is, what if we knew we were narrowing our view and <laughs> really took it to the and limit re- and really specifically <laughs> decided how it was going to look? I'm down, man. <laughs> I, know. I would spend a year on this experiment. I would totally how, call yeah, 2019 I mean, the year of the <laughs> internet solo. Yeah. Oh my God. Dan Wilson in 2020 is just feeling great. <laughs> um, okay, so back to let's get back to Graceland. Oh yeah, you, you pulled right. up the lyrics. Yeah. Um, before we look at and talk about lyrics, I I have a question, which is, um, so the first time I heard this record, um, it would have been like the 97 or 98. Okay. And um, I you know I grew up in a kind of a bluegrass bubble. And I was playing, uh, subbing for a friend who uh, is in a band that lives in um, Salt Salt Lake City, and um, it was really fun. I went out and um, and played some shows with them. I, w- I think I was like eighteen or nineteen. I drove out there in a really shitty car I had broke down. Anyway, we were driving around playing like a week of shows in that area, and they that was one of the records they were listening to, and I just never heard anything like it. I knew, uh, you know, I'd heard um, some Simon and Garfunkel growing up, you know, a couple of records my parents had maybe. Um, and I think that they were listening to it in almost like an ironic way, you know, because this would have been like 10, 12 years later. Maybe their parents had listened to it growing up and they were kind of coming back to it. Wow. You know, because it came out in 86. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So when, here's my question, when it when it came out in, in 86, um, did... Did it uh, did it hit you in any particular way? Did you care? Um, did it sound good? Um, do you do you have any recollection of of when it came out around that time? Vivid, really? 
Yeah. Uh, at the time I was in Minneapolis, I had moved back, uh, or I was visiting from San Francisco where I was living. All right. And then I, my parents had a copy of the record. So mm -hmm. I, it was whatever that first kind of Christmas after Graceland came out, I'd heard the songs on the radio and stuff, but my parents had the LP. Mm -hmm. So I, w I was back in their house visiting from San Francisco and listening to whatever they had at their house. And I had already listened to all their Beatles records a million times. And I had right. I had listened to the Carole King records that they had and stuff, you know, and even their Simon and Garfunkel records when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So this was my, like, I, I, as an adult, I was coming back and visiting them. And there was not much to do in their house except listen to the stereo. Mm -hmm. And... uh Gosh, I miss that feeling. And there was they had a TV, but it was up in the room past their bedroom, and so it was like off limits after bedtime for them. Right. You know? So it was just not part of our life. And um, uh, I listened to Graceland. It was like the one kind of bit of popular culture that was in their house at the time that I could make, vaguely relate to. And I just listened obsessively to it because it got its hooks into me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just I. I kind of couldn't get enough. And a lot of the decisions, a lot of the things about it were so antithetical to what I, quote unquote, believed in at the time. Like I came out of like a jazz, weather report, uh, and Led Zeppelin rock right. thing. And yeah. then got swept into loving, you know, as everyone did that I knew got swept into like loving Elvis Costello and the Buzzcocks and, and, uh, you know, British new wave bands yeah. and television from New York and, and the talking heads, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So now to be listening to Paul Simon at my parents' house was kind of going against right. a lot of that kind of new wave, the stuff that was supposed to be ousting Paul Simon from the culture. Totally. But, but felt this, like it, like sort of a step backwards. Yeah. Yeah. But it was amazing. And I remember, um, like there were certain decisions about it that, like the super auto-tune guitar on Diamonds on the Soles yep. of Her Shoes. Like, why? How? That was one of the things that hit me, too. Yeah. Like, why? What does it, Don't they have <laughs> a tuner? Have a studio. Are you talking about that? Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, love that we so out. I wonder if that's the actual chord. We just chord. sang in the right note. We sang the same note, so. <laughs> oh, my God. It's probably the right. But anyway, that, even from that, those crazy fretless bass things that reminded me of Jacopo Pastorius, but they yep. weren't like him. Yeah. Those, um... Uh, the grooves that were so kind of roly-poly and they were his standard two-step but they were taken to this completely different place i just loved and the yeah. lyrics yeah were so um poetic they were so far ahead of anybody yeah i think yeah the, i think the word that i i didn't feel this at the time but looking back what i felt was some kind of just refreshment you know that uh -huh. someone yeah. was so free yeah. and was doing things proudly that I would I would be like, no, you can't do you that. Can't do that. Yeah. And that to me, you know, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have, yeah, like I say, I wouldn't have said that at the time. But look, looking back, I think that's what I appreciated. Um, I have to check. I have it right here. Diamonds on the Soul of Her Shoes. We haven't listened so, to the song today. Da, na, na, na. I think that's what we... Yeah. That note is... Oh, you got a piano right there. Here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Between C and C sharp. Mm 
Yeah, so it's like F F F sharp. It's just so... Wait, yeah. what did we sing? So we, we sang between C and C sharp, and it's between F and F sharp, really. So the, the chord that he plays is... Or it's between and... <laughs> I love that it's between. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, between. It's just, now when I hear it, that's just so playful and fun. Like, it's exciting. Yeah. It's just really... God damn it. Um, so, uh, also weirdly, apparently a painstaking and an effortful process over time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I listened to an interview. There was, you probably heard it too. I think it was for his last record where he kind of walked, walked through pretty much the whole lyric of, of one song, or at least like a verse and a chorus. It was that song about, um, that starts off with him talking about this couple and how she killed him with a with a sushi knife. Do you know that song? Oh yeah. It's on his it's on Is it on Dazzling Blue? Is it on um So Beautiful or So What? I think it's on that or on so Be- one of the last couple. Yeah. Um and it was like this it was the song that I guess the single. It was a song that he played on, you know, on late night shows. He mm. I think maybe he played it on SNL. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he um it was like an NPR interview and he went through kind of line by line and talked about how he decided on each word and phrase there was nothing there was nothing thrown away there was nothing that he said you know like oh i'm not sure why i did that it was so specific and deliberate do you is is that um was it you who told me that uh he that paul simon has this principle if you um if you have a really really significant and interesting and thought-provoking line you need to follow it with a line that's that's kind of gentle or less challenging to give people I haven't a heard chance, that to give the listener their brain a chance to register if you have a really really important line and you want people to really register it you have to put something kind of dumb afterwards that that doesn't totally. that doesn't grab their attention it lets yeah. them leaves them alone for for a bit yeah or even just like a space in the music where there isn't any lyric right you know right also, contrast of heavy and light, like when he says, um, when he talks about she tells me she's gone, mm-hmm. she comes back to tell me she's gone, as if I didn't know that, as if I didn't know my own bed. Yes. And then there's a long pause. Yes. And then he's give, that, that that's so heavy. That pause fa- it's one of my favorite parts of the, of the song, learning yeah. it. Yeah. And then, as if I'd never noticed the way she brushed her hair from her forehead, is light and kind of cinematic and gentle yeah it's a such a contrast but it, it leaves those a lot of these things like shining like a national guitar pause 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 through the cradle of the civil war yeah oh my god pause 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 yeah pause. i'm going to graceland it's 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 full of those um long pauses where you gotta really register like my traveling companion is nine years old the child of my first marriage Pause, pause, pause. Who's, yep. Who says that in a song? It gives you a minute to realize you've never heard that phrase in anybody's song before. Yeah. It's just amazing. It really is. Um, so that's it. Yeah, I'm following the river down the highway to the cradle. The cradle of the Civil War. It, it sings so well, and it's just none of the words really are 
really that strange. They're all very kind of normal day-to-day words, but through the cradle of the Civil War, that that yeah, that was one of the main things that really struck me when I was learning it too. Like that's a big deal. Like, you know, a hundred years before the song was written, there yeah. was a war that tore through that whole area. Yeah, yeah. And he's feeling it as they're driving. Yeah. And the child he's with probably isn't feeling it. It's also a cradle intense. of a war. Yeah. Like that yeah. describing it makes a it war all, as having a cradle. Harsher. It's harsher because of it. Yeah. He's really interesting. He in this song he gets away with so much, like um, you know, uh you know, it within a community as I am of songwriters, there's this kind of um service oriented uh set of rules that people live by that I try to avoid like basically okay here's two versions of the same rule one is service oriented and the current state of the art and I think it's dumb Mm -hmm. but it's real and the second version is like art the first version is don't bum them out (laughs) okay which I'm like no you could totally bum them out what are you talking about but like there's there's like right pop music right now and like songwriters that that do what i do like writing songs for other artists and stuff there's you you know don't bum them out don't make anyone feel accused yeah don't make anyone feel like they're you know bearing the brunt don't bum them out but the real thing is you can bum them out but you can't leave them bummed out right so that's the art like even in a movie like you you can bum people out but you can't leave them just you know, with yeah. no hope at all or with their, you know, like hating life. Right. So you don't even need a happy ending. But Graceland, the it's like the pre-chorus. Um, losing love is like a window to your heart. Every Everybody sees, sees you're blown apart. Yeah. Everybody feels the wind blow. Like that's the most devastating lyric. I know. How could it be sadder? But at least he, he brings you back to life or he gives you a second chance by yeah. singing the chorus, you know? Yeah. Everybody's going to Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee. It's I like, know. Let's have some fun. You know? I know. Yeah. It's one of those where if, if you really, you know, for a lot of people, they only listen to the chorus or the part that's sort right. of, you know, and, and you can listen to that. Like Born in the USA is a great example, you yes. know, it, that it gets played at 4th of July celebrations blows my mind. Because <laughs> it's like the it's, most pessimistic, yeah. uh, you know, American uh, celebratory American or song what's ever. That? Yeah, like there's also another one about Vietnam, the uh, Credence Clearwater revival song um, about the uh, favorite son. Or, um, oh, Fortunate Son. Fortunate Son, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's the chorus to Graceland could not be more light and happy and something that you want to sing along to and the verses are just devastating i think children i think probably like a little kid could totally enjoy memphis tennessee you know like just that way that scans is so perfect and so funny and fun and you can see why he picked it as a as a like a placeholder yeah lyric yeah Yeah. it's it sings so well and i've often thought also speaking admiringly of paul simon i've often thought also that with the song, he's kind of saying that he's as good as Elvis. I think he's kind of saying, <laughs> right? He's he couches everything in this modest, like, oh, I'm just a short guy and I'm funny and you know we're making fun mm-hmm. of me now and right. you know his whole SNL kind of history. Yeah. But this song is basically him saying, you know, okay, yeah, move over, Elvis. I have I have a seat at the table now. Yeah. You know, and it's badass. Yeah, it is. It's really really badass. The last verse, going to New York City, um, 
I can't remember. Maybe this is before we turned on the the um, recorder, but um, you know, we talked about how the the song starts in New Orleans. No, yeah, New, Mississippi Delta. Mississippi Delta. Yeah, mm-hmm. shining like a national guitar. Um, so that somewhere in in Louisiana, driving up to um, Memphis, yeah. and then the last verse being New York. There's this kind of like you could kind of draw a line. Yeah, it's like a homecoming. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's going back to his familiar haunts, and it's no less challenging and chaotic. Yeah, and also the song seems like kind of a um, um a self comfort in a way, you know, like just hmm. just at the ends of the song, or you know, um, we all will be received in Graceland. Um, at the beginning, the first one is we both will be received. Yeah, um, you know, talking about him and his son, and then. Um, and then the second chorus ends with we uh, we all will be received, and the third is the same we all will be received. Kind of just like giving yourself a little bit of room, you know, or grace. It's a land of grace. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if he if he visited Elvis. You know, there's the kind of famous legendary story of the Beatles visiting Elvis and how right. freaked out they were to visit Graceland and how yeah. how uh, fan vanished they were yeah to be there and how weird it was yeah i wonder if he had been there or you know met elvis or yeah i I know i wonder that is an interesting thing to think about though that how um the beatles were nervous to meet elvis and i mean i don't know how he felt about the beatles but that is something that kind of is a once i don't know you know how how luminous the Beatles and Elvis were to have met each other. That that's sort of like, there's nothing more, uh, there's not really any other examples of something happening like that. You well, know? and also those, those were different times a little bit because different communities and countries were actually separated from each other and they weren't all playing at the same, um, charity Festivals. ball or yeah. festival or whatever. It wasn't all completely, sort of mechanized to get everyone together Yeah, backstage. it wasn't like, you know, the Bonnaroo Saturday right. night set right. ending with the Beatles and then Elvis. Right, it would have been that. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. totally would have been that. Or they would have had like alternate like Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Coachella would have been. Can you imagine? Somebody should make a, like a Coachella like t-shirt with, a you know, the, if Coachella had, a, had been happening in the 60s. <laughs> and then Whoa. like who were the, the bands that would have been the small print down the bottom, you know? I'm so into that. Like, I love that. Like where would the zombies have fallen, you know? Um, in the in the size of the, I feel like they may have been like mid the mid font, mid level. Totally, and way up, like the Temptations would have been way up there. It would yeah. have been amazing. <laughs> oh my god, I want that T-shirt so bad. Yeah, poster, Coachella, <laughs> 1967. <laughs> Get on this, Sean. Oh my gosh. Get on this. Yeah, although I. I feel like you, there would have to be a um, a scale, you know, like maybe like records sold or something, because everyone's going to argue at this point. You know, certain artists that may have been not, may have not been as popular then are more legendary now, and maybe and so, certainly some artists that were really popular and maybe had like a one hit wonder are like people are, don't even know who they are, you know. So th- there would have to be sort of a scale. My point is, maybe records sold or you know just the amount of radio plays or something like that also that you'd have to if it was realistic it would have um 
Engelbert Humperdinck on right. it and Nancy Sinatra or something mm-hmm. like that. All right, we got a project. <laughs> um, we're getting, we've been talking for a while. Um, so thank you so much for doing this, by the yeah, way. It's a pleasure. pleasure to sit down and, and pick your brain and talk about um, someone as epic as Paul Simon. I know. Um, let's do some more talking and playing I loved in the it. future. All right, thanks, guys. How about that guy, folks? Dan Wilson. He is just top shelf human, uh, as well as being a top shelf songwriter. Um, a good way to keep up with Dan is just to follow him on Instagram. His Instagram handle is Dan Wilson Music. He's one of those people that uses social media for the power of good and never evil. It's really refreshing. Um, anyway, that's it. Check him out. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode, guys. See you next time. Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films. Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown, featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Campfire.